Hi, this is John Barnes, and you're listening to Cop On. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is Cop On Podcast, a Cop On Coming at you, tickling your oracles. Uh, on a Monday, as we're recording this, I'm thrilled and delighted to be joined by Andrew Beasley again for the second time coming back on Cop On. How are you, Andrew? It's great to talk to you. I'm very well, thanks. Um, delighted to be back. Um, quite glad there's a couple of weeks without any club football, to be completely honest with you, with the way it's been going. I think, you know, used to dislike the international breaks. I have to say I'm, I'm sort of pretty glad of this one. Yes. I mean, I don't know if you're like me. How are you feeling about, uh, you know, the, the prospects of getting top four? Because there are lots of fans who are really, um, you know, on board the top four train and, you know, even today, there's, you know, we, we're actually, we've actually gained ground in the last matches uh, on, you know, a lot of our rivals, uh, Newcastle and Spurs and things like that. But I've got no, I've got no hope. I don't want to be a misery, guys. I've got, I, I do not expect it at all. I, I expect us to finish sort of mid-table. How are you feeling about the top four hopes? Yeah, it's been, um, you know, it's a cliche to say it's a roller coaster, but obviously for the early part of this year, I was convinced they had no chance at all. Then they obviously got five win uh, sorry, four wins and a draw from five games, beat Man United 7-0. Everything How many? is fantastic. Seven, I think it was seven. Was it seven, seven by any chance? I think it was wow. seven. Um, and then it seemed like top four was almost a certainty at that point. And then, of course, they go to Bournemouth and, and turn in the sort of performance they've done far too often this season. And all of a sudden you think, oh, they've got no chance of top four if they play like this. So um, it, it's very, very difficult to know. I think what you can say is now they literally just have the league to focus on. Whether that's a good thing is up for debate. There's been a lot of poor performances after a week's rest this season. It hasn't sort of correlated that giving them more time to prepare has necessarily helped. But you'd have to think they have a reasonable chance because none of the other teams are in consistent form. So if they could just string maybe six wins together in the final, um, what is it, they've got left 12, a six-game run at some point, maybe win six on the bounce. That may well sort of prove decisive. Obviously, we've got this big week after the international break of Manchester City, Chelsea and Arsenal. I don't think a six-game winning run is going to start there necessarily. But if they can maybe win one of those, at least get one other draw, you know, it'd be very difficult to get anything at City. And then you think, well, OK, they've navigated the hardest part of their season that remains. What can they do from there? Of course, the flip side being that they've generally done well in the in the harder games, and obviously they've struggled against um, some of the struggling teams. And the fact that a lot of their away games were against the struggling teams when they've lost at Bournemouth, when they've lost at Nottingham Forest, you know, all right, these teams aren't struggling, but you wouldn't expect them to lose at Brentford and Wolves and, and you know these sorts of things. So, so maybe more tougher games would actually be better. Strangely, it's it's just such an odd season that it that it's very hard to know. So. Um, I think they can do it, but it, it wouldn't take much to convince me that no, they're they've got no chance again. I'm just I'm kind of up and down like the team is, I guess. <laughs> and what what uh what sort of percentage chance? Are you are you saying it's fifty fifty for top four or you know, a bit less or a bit more? I think it's probably less than that, um, mainly because you would think that three of the spaces, well, certainly two of the spaces are locked up. I think Manchester United will probably do enough. So then you're looking at Newcastle, Liverpool, Tottenham, probably for the final place. And Brighton? I mean, if you look at, yes, possibly. I'm, I'm not sure they've they've got it in them to uh, to do that. Obviously, they've got the FA Cup. I mean, I think it would you know perhaps make sense for them to to focus on that, possibly. I know it's only a couple more games, but... 
I'm sure lots of your listeners probably look at um, 538 and their sort of predictive um, percentages, but they have Newcastle currently at 44% for the top four, Liverpool 29%, Tottenham 25%. i would say that feels right to me. I think Newcastle are probably the favourites for that um, other spot just because they're very strong um, defensively. And while the goals have dried up a little bit, if they keep getting clean sheets, they only need, you know, goal to, to win games. So I think as things stand that feels about right to me. Now, obviously, if Liverpool get through that week with the three tough games with a with a decent points haul, I think it would tip in their favour. But equally, it's not beyond the realms of possibility they lose all three games or, may, or maybe only take a point or two and then it, it will look very difficult. But I think sort of one in three feels about right for Liverpool at the moment, but it could change very quickly in that week for, for better or worse. It's very interesting stuff. I I, I... I agree, but I think 29% is is too high for Liverpool. I really do. But, you know, looking at the form in the last five games, for example, Newcastle, um, they're on win, win, loss, loss, draw. Liverpool, loss, win, win, draw, win. So we've, we've had the advantage over Newcastle. Brighton, a win, draw, win, loss, draw. We've also had the advantage over Brighton. And uh, Tottenham are draw, win, loss, draw, draw. So it's exactly the same as us, but in this sort of different order. Um, so we've matched Tottenham. Uh, we've, we're better than Newcastle and Brighton. Um, I do think Brighton are in the race. But yes, Newcastle are definitely favourites, especially with Alexander Izak back. He's, he's, on, he's on fire. He's a great player. Uh, but anyway, um, when, when people scroll uh, places like uh, Twitter or they, you know, they're Googling... Uh, um, you know what's happening with Liverpool. I don't know if everybody else has turned like I have turned the internet into a Liverpool FC gossip machine. Uh, but uh, if not, then you're doing the internet wrong because uh, you know uh, all the rest is is unavoidable. People do come across your work as a freelance journalist quite often, Andrew, and it's I'm always fascinated by it because you've got all different kinds of data and stats. Um, so uh, do you compile it all yourself? Do you go to particular websites? What kind of data do you collect? Yeah, I mean, the, the thing is, there's, there's literally all sorts of things because obviously new stuff sort of tends to come out each season and then start collecting that while still collecting the old stuff. So um, it does, obviously, uh, it is quite a sort of time-consuming exercise to keep on top of it all. Um, all depends what sort of thing you want. I mean, obviously, expected goals you could download from 538, so that's really useful. Um, and then I might take the shot stats from the Statzone app. And then obviously FB Ref carries all kinds of, of detailed stuff these days about players carrying the ball and, and all sorts of uh, metrics that we wouldn't have had um, access to a couple of years ago and things like this. So so there's all sorts of things, um, really. But um, yeah, it, it is quite time consuming, as I say. So again, an international break allows you to to catch up a little bit and, uh, and keep on top of these things. But um, Unfortunately, whatever whatever sort of data you look at this season, Liverpool um, are probably where they deserve to be. You know, I don't think they've been unlucky. They they have been poor um, defensively in terms of the chances they're giving up and stuff like that. So they are where they deserve to be. I think. I mean, they've got a they've got a goal difference of plus eighteen, and and sixteen of that has come from two games. So you sort of take out the the, the Bournemouth and the United games, and they've they've basically scored as many goals as they've conceded. So I mean. You could argue to be six with that sort of thing is is probably is actually quite good going. So um, yeah, it's uh, it's fascinating to look at the data if you're into into that sort of thing. But it, it mostly shows how Liverpool has sort of fallen away a bit since 
since last season, as we all know. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. We will we will get into a little bit of that that depressing stuff, you know. Um, you know, getting getting the wellies on and you know, <laughs> wading through the sludge of this season versus last season. Um, have you got any stats that show just how far we've fallen? Because I think we've overachieved. I think Alison Becker is the only thing that's keeping us from like seventeenth and a dogfight down there. <laughs> Yeah, you could certainly make that case. I think the biggest thing which stands out for me is to do with the um, with the clear-cut chances, which isn't a sort of universally popular metric in analytic circles. Um, reason being, I think, because it's a it's a subjective thing that that Opta has for um, opportunities where you would expect the attacker to score, and obviously that's a little bit vague, and and some things will be classified as a clear-cut chance that you think shouldn't be, and some aren't that you think you should. But it gives a good. It's a very good indication of of maybe which team deserves to win a game because the thing with expected goals, obviously, it's all decimal points, and you know football doesn't work in you know one point six against one point four. It's it's who had the most sort of good chances, who deserved to win. So um, that's why I still like the the clear cut chance thing. And what you find if you look at that is that Liverpool have been conceding. Um, I think they've just gone under, but they're around about three per game. And that's basically as bad as, as any team has been since the metric became available about 10 or 11 years ago. Um, I think wow. the worst team for conceding them in the Premier League for the for the, the period the date's available was Reading in 2012-13. Um, and they were at just over 100. They were under three per game. And Liverpool have, have allowed 75 in 26 games, which is basically three per game. Now, Fulham have allowed more. But as things stand, Liverpool will still be worse than any previous team that's gone before. Not just obviously any team in a top four battle. These are teams that have been relegated, don't allow as many clear-cut chances as, as Liverpool have this season. And of course, in part that's because they play in a different way. You know, Liverpool will play this high line, uh, although it's not as high as it has been, and you know, very attacking game. It does leave them open to this, whereas obviously some teams will employ a low block and will concede fewer clear-cut chances as a result. But to be conceding more than any team that's been relegated is just it obviously shows why a title challenge was certainly off the table and why a top four place is, is certainly not guaranteed. Because even with Alison Becker, you know, what the man most people would consider the best goalkeeper in the world, I think he's saved something more than 10 goals more than the next G would suggest this season. Even with him, he can't, you know, he can't keep a team afloat that's conceding that many. Um, that many big chances. Well, I mean, he, he's keeping us from the relegation fight. Like I'm convinced of it. <laughs> I think he's been. I think he's been amazing. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean. So the problems that we've been talking about it on Cop on all season. The problems, and there are many. It is complicated. Um, but you know, Virgil Van Dijk came out and said that we need to sign some players this summer. Recently, um, and you know, I just wonder what you think the you know, the rebuilding project should look like? Well, I don't think they necessarily need to buy, you know, five or six new players um, because I think the bones of a good team are there for the next few years. You know, Salah aside, the other attackers are all are all relatively young. Um, you've got um, Alisson should be okay for a few more years. Canate, certainly. Trent, Robertson, things like that. So I think, you know, the bones are good of a good team are in place. I mean, the, the big issues I'm, I'm sure you've discussed in the midfield is that basically everyone is either very young or very old. When you look at the the minutes played by um, midfielders aged between, I think it's 22 and 28, 
And Liverpool haven't had hardly had any. I think Naby Keita possibly falls in that bracket, but he hasn't played all that much. We've got um, two. We've got we've got Naby Keita and Arthur Mello, who are between twenty three right. and twenty seven. That's it. so yeah. Of course, yeah. I forget about Arthur because he played thirteen minutes. I think it was, and <laughs> has, right. has basically been injured ever since. Yeah. So whereas most teams are getting something like two thirds of their midfield minutes from from this twenty two to twenty eight block, Liverpool have basically had nothing. And I think that's I think that's where the problem is with the part of the problem with the midfield and with the sort of transfer business. You know, last summer they brought in, um, among others, they brought in Fabio Carvalho, who I think is a decent decent player, but he's only twenty, and unless he's like an absolute superstar, he's not going to come in and, and sort of dominate midfield um, for Liverpool at, at that age. And and what I think is Liverpool don't need necessarily five or six players, but they need to sign three players who are going to come in and hit the ground pretty much immediately at a good level. And that's obviously not going to be easy to do. You know, we've seen players in the past like Robertson and Fabinho have very good first seasons, but after a sort of few month period of of adjustment to, to how the team plays and what Klopp demands of them and stuff like that. And whilst there may have to be a degree of that um, with who they buy this summer, they really need players to, particularly midfielders, to come in and, and hit the ground running because obviously it looks likely that Cater's going to leave, Oxlade-Chamberlain's going to leave, Milner's going to leave. They may not need huge numbers if they sort of change the formation or they sign players who can can remain fit, which is obviously a big ask. But, you know, it is, it is a huge part. Again, you know, most players they've signed have generally remained fit. Obviously, again, Cater the exception there. But... Um, you know, I don't think they need lots of players, but they need some good players and they need some good players who can can contribute as close to immediately as they can sort of get away with, really, which is which is a big ask, but it's not beyond the realms of possibility because they've they've done that sort of thing in the past. I think I think we do need a big rebuild. Um, I think you're right about the age between 22 and 28 would be good. But then there's a, there's another argument that if we, you know, because it looks like, I mean, for example, David Ornstein today don't know if you've if you've seen this he 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 posted mm-hmm. uh, on twitter saying that jude bellingham is looking increasingly unlikely that's something that you know based on we we just discussed it the other day on cop on uh, john henry's interview that he gave to the echo where he basically said that the investment strategy is not going to change so jude bellingham is not going to sign for liverpool let's uh, let's be let's be clear because we just don't we cannot afford a true generational talent um because he's he's nuts he's he's so good um jude bellingham but um you know i think we need a big a big 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 amount of four club football which is which is you know at its best with a proper high line when we can play it um, you need players who can run and fight and run backwards, especially the the our attack to defence transition has been absolutely abominable this season because none of our players can run. They're just running straight through us. So I think we need, for example, we need to replace, um, obviously, Milner, Cater, uh, Oxlade-Chamberlain. Um, Henderson can't run anymore. I think that's, so that's four midfielders we need. Uh, and also, I would like a replacement for Genie Vijnaldum because we never replaced him. So that's five midfielders that we need. Plus, when you think about Klopp football with the I- intensity, and of course that that's, um, statistic that was in the Times a couple of weeks ago that was doing the rounds on social media about how Liverpool have had, you know, <clears throat> so many more injuries than any other team this season. So, I mean, does that sound like, even if it's unrealistic to expect FSG to pay for the five different midfielders, 
that that's what we need isn't it yeah you could certainly make that case i think a lot might depend on how they see um stefan by do they see him as a mm. six do they see him he as an eight mm -hmm. he, he okay. could you know the cliche like a new signing but i mean clearly he's going to be a good player for liverpool in the years ahead i think there's you know there's no doubt about that so he's thought of an addition since the start of the season um and again it, it sort of depends what um formation Klopp wants to play I mean it, it sort of feels to me like they've got a lot of players now who might suit a 4-2-3-1 system more they're also targeting players at least if you believe what you read I mean obviously Bellingham um is is a target um perhaps an unrealistic one as you say um but obviously he plays in a 4-2-3-1 um and they're obviously strongly linked as well with um Mateus Nunes at Wolves he's not a player I know a lot about but if we look at him as an example with Wolves this season, he's played in the right side of a 4-3-3. He's played in the two in a 4-2-3-1. He's played in the number 10 role in that system. He's played on the left of a 4-4-2. Whether he's the right player is, is up for debate. I, I don't think he's going to sort of set any pulses racing necessarily if Liverpool signed him. But I think somebody of that nature who can play a variety of roles could help them cover up, could help them get away with buying fewer players potentially because as we say if the if the investment situation isn't changing they're probably not going to buy five players we just have to be you know realistic about that so buying a versatile player or two who can do a number of roles in a number of systems i think would be the way to go of course we all want bellingham i haven't read the article today i have seen the tweet from david ornstein it does seem odd to me to say that you know bellingham is going to cost a lot and there are other teams with more money because obviously that's not news i mean that's always been the case um, I have no insight on whether he is coming to Liverpool or not. I wish I did. But, um, you, you know, I think we have to accept that it, that it is perhaps unlikely. But it's also unlikely, as I say, they're going to spend sort of, you know, they're not going to buy five £50 million midfielders. That's just not going to happen. So it, it, it's going to be very interesting to see how they do this. But I think they are going to have to be prepared to maybe buy three, let's say. I'm picking that number rather than five, but maybe guys who can fulfil a number of roles, be that Nunes or be that anybody else, um, you know, who... They, they may have their eye on players that we've not even considered. That's that's happened in the past, and it could happen again, I suppose. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm I'm unimpressed by Matthias Nunes, uh, you know, in both the eye test and and the stats. He doesn't. He just doesn't set the world alight, and he's not what we need. I think we need, you know, like many fans, just dynamic midfielders who can run, who can win the ball back. Um, I saw a link today from uh, Romeo uh, Lavia. Uh, from mm -hmm. Southampton and I think that might be a good market to go down though if we sort of poach young players with a lot of potential and you know I think one of the successes the reasons for our, our success over the past few years has been the fact that we had a number of players all maturing together um, and they it really really helped us so if we could sign players who are you know 22 23 and just watch them go over the next three or four years keep the squad together i would shop i think you could shop in france you know you can shop in find good value in germany uh, possibly italy although that's uh, obviously scarred us in the past uh, and uh, and mm -hmm. other places but uh, surely you're the same in terms of you would target dynamic midfielders as opposed to creative ones yeah it's funny isn't it when you when you sort of look back now for much of um let's say 2018 to 2020 was probably liverpool's sort of peak that period then um or certainly this this version of liverpool 
And obviously there was there was endless grumbling um, online from people about how Liverpool's midfield didn't score many goals or create many chances, get many assists. And yet it was the best Liverpool team any of us will, will probably ever see. You know, 26, <laughs> exactly. 26 wins and two draws from a run of 38 league games with a team, with a midfield, sorry, that, that barely created any chances or scored any goals. And obviously that, you know, that that does them a disservice. I mean, you, you obviously, if you think back some games, um, uh, I don't know, Manchester City, 2019-20, obviously a big winner. Anfield, Fabinho opened the scoring, Henderson got an assist. You know, it's not that they didn't contribute at all, but clearly, you know, people wanted um, midfielders who did deliver that and and the best team Liverpool have had didn't, didn't really do that. So, yeah, you're absolutely right. I think with the way they play, with a focus on the fullbacks to be creative as well, a, a solid midfield is more important than a... Than a creative midfield to uh, to Liverpool, I, and I think you're right as well regarding the age. I mean, if you you can go on transfer market, I think it is, and look at the average age of each team in the Premier League in each season, and you see how Liverpool was sort of third, fourth youngest in 2018, and and now they're basically the oldest. And obviously, that you know some players have come and gone, but broadly speaking, it's a lot of the same players now who were here then. And it's just they have aged together as a team. They've they've gone through that sort of journey and. It doesn't mean that all of the older guys have to be written off at this point, but you can't have a team made up of of just the older guys. You know, you you look at the um, the oldest teams in the in the Premier League, and they often tend to be um, teams fighting against relegation and teams managed by Roy Hodgson. And Liverpool don't want to be either of those things. Obviously, we've had experience of the latter, and and you know you don't want to go back. So um, yeah. I'm not sort of a big expert on players. I can't say, right, these are the three players who they should sign. But clearly, yeah, dynamic young midfielders would would add a lot. I mean, it, yeah, and they don't have to be like really young. You know, somebody like, um, you know, they were linked to um, Paulinha at Fulham recently. He's not that young, but he's sort of young enough that you could get three or four good years out of him still. So you get somebody like that, you get a couple of sort of, yeah, like you say, 22, 23 year olds. And, and the picture would suddenly look a lot healthier, add by Chetich to the mix and, you know, it would look a lot healthier relatively quickly, but it's getting those players right is obviously it's not easy, particularly like you say, you know, maybe they should be looking at France and, and Germany in these leagues because uh, Paulinho, they've been linked with obviously Bellingham, but um, Alexis McAllister. I mean, none of these guys are, are cheap. I mean, I can't remember the last time Liverpool bought a player from from France. I mean, there, there might be someone I'm overlooking, but it's not something they do. Obviously, they seem to be targeting sort of Portugal, Netherlands with... Uh, Maybe Linda's knowledge and, and his connections, how much he's sort of steering that, who knows. But, you know, they're, they're sort of targeting those leagues, which I think is a way to possibly get decent players at, at slightly better value than the than the Premier League. But, um, yeah, they I think they've reached the point where their, their policy of only signing the players they want, which served them very well, don't get me wrong, but they've reached the point where they can't do that anymore. You know, they had that with many last summer. They didn't sign him and then they didn't really sign anyone in that position. It's reached the point now where they can't do that. They're going to have to have secondary um, targets if they can't get Bellingham or whoever else their first choice is, because they've just let it go too far. Um, so it's yeah, I'm I'm fascinated to see what they do. I'm not going to sort of throw the toys out the pram if they don't get the first choice guys, but clearly there needs to be some kind of revamp and um, and, a, and a reasonable one. How much would you pay for Mason Mount? That's a good question. Um, he, I think, does he have one year left on his contract after this season? So it, it wouldn't so, be yeah. a lot. But on that principle, it wouldn't be a lot. However, getting Chelsea to sell him to Liverpool might. I mean, obviously, they sold um, 
obviously it's about 10 years ago now, but they sold Daniel Sturridge to Liverpool for, for 12 million. And I'm, and I'm sure they regretted that decision. Um, even with his injuries, what he delivered for that sort of first year and a half certainly was was worth well more than uh, was worth way more than 12 million pounds. So how much I would pay, I don't know. But again, I hadn't mentioned him. I think he's a good target. I think if Liverpool could get him for a reasonable price as there's only one year left, I think that would be great. Something else we haven't mentioned, of course, as well, is, is the homegrown um, situation, the requirement for, for homegrown players. It's not that you have to have too many of them so much as you are limited on the number of non-homegrown players you can have. So filling your squad with players like that, again, Milner, Oxlade-Chamberlain, okay, they don't contribute a huge, huge amount, but they are homegrown players who sort of fulfil that criteria. And that that is worth something. So somebody like Mason Mount, yeah, I think he is the sort of player Liverpool should definitely be going after. But um, putting a price on it is 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 very, very difficult. But um, if he was sort of 40 million, then um, I don't think that would be so bad. But I mean, I think Liverpool, um, Liverpool, FSG, well, and Liverpool probably have all their own sort of algorithms and, and sort of way of determining price and value. You would think that they do. So where he falls on that scale will be interesting because he only has that year left. Yeah, see, I'm, I don't know. I, I speak to lots of people who are similarly, you know, enthusiastic for Mason Mount at around about that price, 40 million. But I would never do that. I would never do that. There is the homegrown thing is a big is a big issue it really is but i would prefer to just poach any anybody from a, a team that's relegated for about 10 million if you want to just keep the quote quota up um because i just don't see it he's actually three goals and four assists in 30 matches this season in the premier league and champions league and that's just not good enough i, I just don't see it. i think he's fallen off a cliff but anyway let's let's move on from transfers and stuff what about um um uh yeah what was i going to say hang on i've forgotten my question um oh yes good news that's why because my brain was blanking it out good news you forget that there is good news sometimes have you got any good numbers from this season any favorite numbers um they're not is sure there's too doing many well, <laughs> well alison i'm thinking about yes alison yeah, becker is one and uh mo salah maybe He's having a great season for the fact that he's in such a dysfunctional team. Yeah, I or, think it's, uh, well, it's always funny with um, Stella. He's always had this, um, I guess it happens to everyone, probably Harry Kane as well, you know, one season wonder and all this nonsense. But you look at somebody like Mo Salah and he's Liverpool's top scorer and Liverpool's top assist provider. And most people say, well, he's not been very good since the Africa Cup of Nations last year. And 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 he's perhaps not been at his best. That You know, that that's not an unfair sort of uh, statement to make but I mean 22 goals and 11 assists in a team that has not been doing that well um, and with only I think one penalty goal in there sadly there was not one at Bournemouth of course but um, yes. you know to be Liverpool's top scorer and top assist um, provider is obviously fantastic um, I think Nunes as well I mean obviously a lot of focus is, is made on his on his missed chances but uh, you know I'm confident that, that he can uh, he can do really well he's uh, he's an interesting one because he's having a sort of identical season to um, Luis Suarez in in 2011-12 obviously easy to make the connection to to Uruguayan players but Suarez missed so many um, big chances that that first full season he had with Liverpool and then he just exploded from there. Now, obviously, lots of players will miss big chances and never sort of have that next step up. But but Nunes, to me, looks like he could. He just has too many good chances um, not to uh, not to have an impact. I mean, if you look at 
um, his numbers. Um, I don't think I've updated them with the Real Madrid game, but basically um, Liverpool have averaged about three clear-cut chances themselves a game as well, which is really good. Teams don't, not many teams do that. We mentioned not many teams do it defensively, but not many teams do it offensively either, and Liverpool have. But what you see when you look at the numbers, they've had one um, roughly every 30 minutes this season, obviously, as I say, three a game. But it's every 26 minutes when Nunes is on the pitch and every 38 minutes when Nunes is not on the pitch because that's what he's bringing to the team. He's 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 actually creating quite a few of these chances, but he's certainly in position to to get these good chances. So anybody having you know that sort of impact, of course, it's not all down to him alone, but the fact is they're just more creative, they're more dangerous when he plays. And I think he should come good next season because he did very well goal scoring last season with, albeit at a lower level. And as I say, he's sort of doing that that slightly um, Suarez thing of, of maybe taking a season to to get going and maybe a little bit wasteful. Um, but hopefully Liverpool can see the, the benefit of that next season. And I mean, again, you know, 14 goals in a, in a first season where he's mostly been mocked for missing chances. I mean, you would imagine he might not get to 20, but, you know, he'll get high teens probably by the end of the season, add sort of three or four more on top of that. I mean, that's a pretty good first season. That's a pretty good first season. I suppose the the the, the question mark is 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 who else is going to contribute. I think Diaz will. I think Gakpo will. I think Jota will. But obviously Jota's on this long run now of, um, I've, I've lost track of it. Is it 28 appearances without a goal, which just seems ridiculous and I think obviously he's been unlucky in that and, and injuries and things like that but you know I don't think he's finished or anything but I suppose the question with the attack yes there's a lot of good players but how are they going to fit together going forward uh, as in in the future because Salah Nunes Gakpo looking very good on the whole but then you've got you know Diaz to come back he only really plays on the left Salah only really plays on the right so what are you doing through the middle? Are you going Gakpo? Are you going Nunes? Are you going Jota and, and stuff like that? So, um, yeah, I think I'm sort of optimistic about that. It's the, and obviously, Alisson has been doing really well. It's the, it's the others as well. I think, um, you know, we look at um, Alexander-Arnold, relatively poor season. He's created the most clear-cut chances of any Liverpool player. You know, he's created, um, I think, uh, yeah, I haven't got the Real Madrid figures from the away game, but he's created 18 clear-cut chances and only three of them have become assists. Then you've got a guy like Simicath, two clear-cut chances, two assists from them. I mean, <laughs> it's unrealistic okay. to, to expect that level of conversion when you're at Alexander-Arnold's level, but to only have three of them converted from 18 is just, is just unlucky. So, again, another player who's not been at his best, but has been doing a reasonable amount creatively. Again, he'll get over the 20 barrier before the end of the season, which, you know, not many players tend to do. Um, so he's fine. So I, I, I think there's reasons for optimism with Liverpool, with a lot of their players, but too many of them have, have, have had less than stellar seasons in different ways. But when it happens to, to too many of your key players, you obviously, you're obviously going to struggle. And I think that's what's happened. Mm. Excellent stuff. Thank you. Very good answer. Regarding Darwin Nunes, there's a website called oneversusone.com where they put him as uh, the top five in the Premier League in terms of shots on target. So it's not as if he's completely wasteful. Um, and he's top five in big chances that he's had in the Premier League, top 10 in expected goals and top 10 in the goals with his head and top 10 in chance creation. So as you say, it's not as if he's not a creative player. He really is. Um, and what that looks like uh, per 90 is 0.48 goals per 90. So a goal every two games, very good. 
but his conversion of big chances, as you said, um, is only at 25% of his big chances. So everything's there that if he can just, you know, find that moment where time goes very slowly and, and uh, you know, the ball looks really big and the goal looks absolutely massive and, you know, you're all relaxed, you're all chilled out. He's had a nice shoulder massage before the game, so it's not hurting him and he's just, you know, he's in the zone, the neutral space where everything's possible and he can thwunk it into the top bins next season then the whole season could change and look uh, very different but i mean i think in, in order for it to change we just need to be able to sign players who can run uh, because the tactics are, uh you know our tactics we've we've we've, we've messed around or messed around maybe is the wrong word we've certainly switched tactics uh, a few times this season during matches and, and in general, but it's always with the, as you say, a relatively high line. Is that something that you would want to see tactically us us change to drop to like a mid block or a low block or, you know, just because uh, otherwise we just get run ragged all the time? I mean, it felt earlier this uh, earlier this year, not this season, you know, they they sort of playing with the mid block and it, and it did seem to work for a few games. But I think... They're having one of those seasons where different things maybe work for a few games and then they seem to stop working for, for whatever reason. Um, I think if they can play at their best, which is obviously a big ask, but then the high line makes sense, absolutely. I mean, you know, compress the space into half the pitch and, you know, it make it very difficult for teams to, to, to score against them and things like that. It's something that's always stuck with me. Um, when when you when Klopp first arrived, um, it was uh, I think it was Sean Rogers on the Anfield Wrap. He'd said something about Klopp teams, whereby most of the time they're really good, but when it goes wrong, it can go really really wrong. And we've seen that over the years, but in isolated incidents. You know, they had that five nil loss at Man City. Obviously, um, Sadio Mane got sent off, which didn't help. They had the seven two at at Aston Villa when um, Gomez had a really poor game. Adrian had a poor game. There was three deflections. You know, they've had these isolated one off games, and now they've reached the point where it's happening where it's happening far too often. But so if they can get back to their best, you can afford these odd games where, you know, you have a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare and, and it not be the end of the world. But obviously they've they've been happening too regularly this season. So if they can get back to playing the high line at, at its best, I'm all in favour. Clearly that may not be possible. And then possibly this sort of mid-block thing that they that they have been using um, might work for the best. I think I, I did write a piece about it. It was quite interesting this season. They were winning the ball or they were being more effective when they won the ball high up the pitch with a mid-block than they were when they were trying to play higher up the pitch. They, they were turning more of those opportunities into shots than they were before. Now, that might be, you know, things like Nunes being more bedded into the team later in the season when they were doing it. But for whatever reason, they were becoming more productive from their pressing when they were playing a mid-block rather than a high block. So maybe that is the way to go with the players they've got, if they're going to stick with um, someone like Gakpo as the central guy dropping deeper and stuff like that, he seems to be pretty good at that sort of thing. So, um, it, yeah, a lot will depend on, I guess, the players they bring in. It's, you know, we keep returning to that point, but, you know, the, the next evolution of Liverpool is probably going to depend on what players they bring in this summer and, and how Klopp chooses to use them tactically. But obviously, if we could get back to the high press, high line, as we say, sort of 2018 to 2020 Liverpool, then, then that would be fantastic. But, you know, we might have reached a point where that's too, too sort of too big an ask from here. I don't know. It's a really good point. It's a really good. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, we don't know. We're all just throwing our hands up in the air 
and going i don't know because that's that's uh, that's that's this kind of season we're going to have to endure but we can come back we've definitely got the right manager we've got the right uh players and as you say the nucleus of of a of a fantastic squad um just uh, one final question about ai everyone's talking about artificial intelligence um i found something today called dectopus and um it's a way of creating marketing material where you just put in the subject that you want to do and the um you know what subject you want to do a presentation about and it sort of comes up with all these slides about that presentation it's more sort of in design and marketing at the moment but i wonder if in future you can just say to an ai model give me liverpool stats from this season and instead of having to trawl through all the different websites or apps there will be an ai that just retrieves all of that for you is that something that you're looking forward to that kind of world and make your job make your job a lot easier or are you sort of you know worried that that kind of thing will might mean the end of like uh, freelance stats journalism because you just run the stats that ai finds through something like chat gpt and say you know write me an article about this and then bob's your uncle you've done your job in in, in two minutes you can go for a pina colada what do you think <laughs> i like the sound of the pina colada i mean if that comes <laughs> uh free free as standard then uh yeah count me in um <laughs> I'm not sure really how it would sort of you know work on on that level i mean i think you know there people who are smarter than me with computers could already sort of scrape data from websites without having to necessarily um sort of check it all manually and stuff like that but um yeah it, it is interesting what can can throw up i think it i mean speaking on my how i do my sort of process i suppose it, it sort of helps me to actually look at the stuff myself rather than having it automatically just so it's like oh that things stand out a bit more because you're sort of looking at them i mean obviously you see things when you watch the game and you think oh i'll check that afterwards and, and and sometimes it matches the data and sometimes it doesn't or but then sometimes something will stand out you're like okay i didn't really sort of notice that and then you sort of check back like okay yeah that player did do this a lot of times or not at all or or whatever or things like that um so yeah i, th I think the possibilities there are, are probably there for you know younger and smarter people than me uh more than than, than me perhaps but um no i mean it is interesting i think as well you know the the data side of that that interests me is more what the sort of the club will be doing behind the scenes i mean i, I probably already are doing and, and stuff like that you know with um i'm sure you've seen will spearman who works at the club and you know um harvard physicist or, or whatever he is i'm probably doing him a disservice there um but you know he's taking over from me and graham and, and the research they do behind the scenes as long as that's still playing a part at liverpool then i think that's sort of a fantastic thing because the the, the stuff those guys do with data is incredible you know pinpointing which opposition player they should press because he's slow on the ball and stuff like this to, you know, obviously the sort of thing you can possibly pick up with the eye, but you're not going to pick up to the same sort of granular level and watching literally, you can't watch every player in, in, in the world as closely as you can sort of check that stuff with the data. So personally, I'm sort of more fascinated by what they're doing at the club, but of course that's the sort of thing that doesn't tend to, you don't tend to learn about. They keep that stuff in house and, and rightfully so if it's there, competitive advantage but i think it's sort of the possibilities and sort of exciting to see what they uh what they do with that sort of stuff you know we'll probably hear about it two or three years after they've done the work because then it's sort of safer to talk about it because they've already had the benefit and things like that as you've seen in the past um but yeah there's there's further possibilities out there and um yeah interesting to see what they do next i guess yeah it will be it will be indeed and uh interesting to see what you're gonna write next have you got any uh, projects coming up 
Um, I'm actually uh, this week. I'm I'm off, which uh, probably works quite well with the international break because it's certainly easier to write about the team when they're when they're playing than when they're not. And obviously, with the, the sort of things I write, um, the the transfer um, rumours and links are only going to probably accelerate as we as we head towards the summer. So there'll be a lot of uh, work on um, checking the data on players and, and what they're doing and stuff like that. And I'm sure at the end of the season, there's, there'll be all manner of um, you know reviews of the season and. What have we learned? I mean, obviously, some of the stuff we've been talking about is unlikely to change too much between now and the end of the season. You know, all the big chances they're giving up, they're unlikely to turn that tap off entirely, unfortunately. But, um, yeah, there, there'll, there'll be lots to sort of go through and review and and see what they've been struggling with. But also the positives to take, as we say, you know, Nunes's conversion rate being the same as Suarez. I mean, that's really interesting with an eye on the future. And even if he just gets back to average conversion, his his goal rate will go up. Doesn't have to be spectacular with them, just sort of same as everybody else, and um, and we'll see the benefits. So there'll be there'll be lots of sort of those articles of what have we learned and what does it sort of suggest going forward. So, uh, but yeah, obviously, particularly with the with the Echo and the Liverpool.com, a lot of transfer stuff, a lot of transfer stuff. So um, lots of players to review and see and see how we go from there. I guess. Um, I, well, I did say that was the last question, but is anyone is anyone gone under under people's radar that you would love us to sign in your transfer things? I mean, for me, I don't know. People talk about Gravenberts, things like that. Kefrin Turam, for me, uh, you know, is someone who I would absolutely love at the club. Uh, any anybody you're thinking of? No, not particularly. I mean, as I, as I mentioned earlier, I, uh, you know, not sort of an expert on on players across the continent and stuff like that. The nature of it, of, uh, particularly with my work as well, it'll be like, oh, so Liverpool are now linked to player X. I need to do a bit of research mm. on on player X rather than than having a sort of knowledge of of all of them. Um, but I mean, obviously, I, I do like the players they're linked with, as we sort of discussed earlier, um, yeah. Mount and McAllister and Paulinho and obviously Bellingham and guys like this. But whether they get them remains to be seen. Um, it I think it would be good if they dug out a couple of, of gems that people aren't really wary of, but I'm, I'm probably not the best person to ask who those guys are at the moment. Oh, okay, excellent stuff. But Well, thank you so much, Andrew. Thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure and uh, really interesting to talk to you, as always. Where can people find you? Uh, best places on Twitter, um, at Basetune to Red, uh, because obviously I share links and stuff to everything I I do on there. I also set up a, a Substack newsletter um, in case Twitter collapses into the sea, as it often looks like it's threatening to do with uh, Elon <laughs> and whatever he's up to. So, uh, yeah, there, there is a Substack newsletter as well, although I'm, I'm not too, uh, so try and do one every week, but I'm, I've sort of fallen a bit behind on that. But, um, yeah, whilst Twitter is there, people can find me on Twitter and I'll be sharing links to everything I do on there, certainly. Fantastic. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute treat. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. I hope you can you can relax now. Nothing nothing particularly to write about this week. Put your feet up, you know, watch uh, reruns of the 7-0. Uh, but thank you so much. <laughs> no problem. Happy to take part. <laughs>